Hey! You're listening to Talk of Shame, a Wamina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. I'm your host, Alia Moro. I'm an Egyptian-born, London-raised freelance journalist and author of the best-selling non-fiction book, The Greater Freedom. Having felt the impacts of shame, or Arab, as Arabs like to call it, on many aspects of my life, I've become pretty obsessed with the concept and the question of how we can rid ourselves from it. Throughout the season, I dig deeper into shame with the help of some brilliant guests. Shame breeds shame, so we gotta talk about it. Being born in Egypt and raised in the US, it was always very tricky because I never felt like I could claim either culture for myself fully. When I was in the US, I felt like I didn't belong and I was kind of shamed for things that were particular to like Arab culture. When I would be around my more Western friends, I would act like I don't know how to cook because I didn't want to fit into the like small little box stereotype of like a Muslim woman, you know, all we do is just cook and clean, stay at home. In school, the German kids would always make fun of me because of my dark eyebrows, and they would tease me for having this caterpillar monobrow. All I ever wanted was just to have blue eyes and blonde hair. Especially in high school, when things start getting like experimental and rebellious, there were a lot of restrictions to me, like being an Arab Muslim woman in America that my family placed and which I chose to follow at the time. My dad is still very much in his first generation moving to the UK and like the way that his parents brought him up, he's still very much in that mindset. Um, 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 I'm finding it very, very hard when it comes to dating. There's a lot of guilt around how you want to live your life, the way your mind is and the way that you want to move forward. And it's a whole mind field. Um, 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 and then moving back to Egypt when I was 18, becoming an adult here, I thought I would feel at home, but I didn't actually. I felt like reverse culture shock, a different kind of shame for not being Egyptian enough. It can be quite tricky because you feel like you're not truly accepted by your family. It's a whole thing. It was only when I was able to like work through and free myself from those expectations of both cultures, of being both and neither, was I able to really be much more comfortable in my own skin and in my choices? I grew up in two different cultures. I was born in Egypt, but I've lived most of my life in London. And in my book, I call it being both and neither. Because I'm both, I'm ultimately neither of those things. And I think especially when you're young, you can feel a lot of shame around that. A lot of, you know, feeling like you're not quite enough. For this week's episode, I spoke with Minna and Hager, the sisters behind The Meme Shop, one of my favorite accounts on Instagram and hosts of the Yalla Bai podcast. I remember being really in trouble because I was sitting on the couch eating Doritos out of the bag and my dad was like, what are you? Like, you think you're American now? That's Minna. I know deep inside that it was because I didn't want her to be there. And I just, when I think about that, I'm like, how many moments in my life did I ruin for our family just because I was so ashamed? 
And that's Hager, or Hagar, as she tells us she's now trying to introduce herself as. We spoke about how it feels to be both and neither, what changed after 9-11 with the rise of Islamophobia, learning to embrace being third culture, and more. They kick us off by telling us what they think about when they hear the word shame. Shame breeds shame. Let's talk about it. For me, I think, like, the feeling of shame is just so ingrained in, like, my memory as a child. But just this, like, this bodily discomfort of, like, wanting to disappear. That's what I associate with that. How about you, Minna? Yeah, I was also going to say, like, this crazy discomfort, just, like, feeling so out of body. Like, I don't want anyone to look at me almost. Um, But I don't know if I felt it forever, like, the way Hoget is saying. I don't know if I've, like... I knew what I knew how to detect what shame was at such a young age. Like, I don't think so at all. I feel like it's definitely something that I'm only more recently sort of starting to feel like I think it kind of impacted a lot of my decision making or how I felt about myself, perhaps, but I wasn't able to kind of put a word to it or like really be able to tell where it came from. Have you guys read Brene Brown's Daring Greatly? I haven't downloaded it and listened to it. Oh, it's so brilliant. But she talks a lot about shame kind of being the feeling of never being enough and, you know, the fear of not belonging or being disconnected, which I think, you know, as someone who grew up in the diaspora is something that I very much felt. So I feel, you know, when I'm in the UK, I feel not British enough. When I'm in Egypt, I feel not really quite Egyptian enough. Do you guys have any similar sort of feelings or experiences around that? For me, I feel like I've always had to pick. Like, if I'm with this group of friends, okay, I'm going to act super, super Egyptian here. If if I'm in Egypt, I'm going to act extremely Egyptian. And then when I'm here, I cater my personality to, like, my American friends or my white friends. Um, But I... It's such a like switch for me. So I'm either 100% Egyptian or 100% American. There's like no in between. I've recently learned that I can be both and it can be comforting to be both. Um, but yeah, it was always like, a, oh, what am I going to be today? <laughs> what personality am I going to wake up with? Does it feel like a hat that you can just put on and off? Like what would be your more like Americanized behaviors versus your more Egyptian behaviors, do you think? Like cursing, being American is like just like, not really being like very feminine for me um, around my Egyptian friends. It's like completely, completely different. Like I have to, you know, shave my arms, <laughs> like all these things that I don't have to care about when I'm with American people, but I've gotten so good at it. I think that it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it, it impacts me anymore. I'm just like really good at switching. Yeah. It's so funny. Do you feel, cause I was thinking about this recently. I feel like I, that's just become a part of my personality. Like I can shape shift. If I'm with someone who's super loud, I take on the quiet role. If I'm with someone who's like a bit more timid, then I'll be the one that's super outgoing. So I think it like stretches into different parts of my personality, just like that shape shifting that we all have to do kind of as children. One of my sort of earliest memories of feeling like I didn't belong was teachers at school not being able to pronounce your name. So that's like something I talk about all the time, but I remember this. It's one of my most distinct memories of my childhood, sitting in a circle in kindergarten on the floor, and we were going around saying our names, and everybody's name was like Jennifer, Stephanie, Michael, like just normal American names. And I said, Hagad. And the teacher was like, 
what? (laughs) I said it again. And she was like, aga, gaga. Like she just kept, she was trying and she just could not get it. And then she said, Hager. And I was like, you know what? Fine. Hager. And ever since I've been Hager, which is crazy because it came about in such a weird way. And I just recently actually had this moment where I was like, my name's not Hager, it's Helga. And I had this opportunity to like correct it because I was like meeting new people, but it just still came out as Hager. And I think like what I'm trying to deal with now is I could be both. Like I am Hager now for the past however 20 something years. And I'm also Helga and like, that's fine. I even just called you Hager. <laughs> Minya calls me Hager. And she <laughs> but I, I'm trying to be better with calling you Hager because I feel like it's it affects your life so much. <laughs> no. no, it's just like, I actually like, I think it was just influenced by a lot of people where like, no, I'm going to be called by my Arab name. I'm not going to be called by Americanized name. But I, I think I'm going to try to like embrace both. I am both. It's just hard to like change it all of a sudden. I'm 31 now, so. I think that, you know, when you're when you're growing up, especially when you're younger, you really want to fit in with the people around you. So all of that kind of stuff impacts you so much more, whereas now it is so much easier to be like, yeah, look at, you know, I'm unique because of all of this stuff. But when you're younger, you're just like, no, I just want to be like everyone else. Yeah, I mean, my name, Minna, so in English, it's Mena or Menatala. And when I was in middle school, I remember wanting to for people to call me M, just like, M and they can think my name is Emily that way. Like I'm American <laughs> just to fit in, just so that I feel like I'm not like the outcast here. I think my my curly hair was something that really sort of impacted me as well. And I remember so well, there was one day and she was one of my best friends at the time and I had my hair in a ponytail and I just had like tufts of fluff kind of coming out, you know, and it was all like scraped back, but fluff around my crown, I guess. And she was like, why is your hair like that? That's so weird. Like, why, why is your hair like that? And then she also in the same breath made a comment about my body hair and like, why do you have hairy arms? And I was just like, oh my God, so ashamed of my difference, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I used to like iron, actually iron my hair <laughs> so that I can be completely straight. And again, it's all these things. And I, when I was in school, the people that I found myself surrounded by were always like very, just white girls. Like they were very white. <laughs> so I looked so, so different than them that I had to do everything in my power to look like them. Mm-hmm. And that's just never going to happen, no matter how much I straighten my hair or pluck my eyebrows like I will look different like I will never look completely white so yeah I mean I I don't know if I've ever been called out for this stuff but I'm sure they were thinking it (laughs) Minna there was a point in Minna's life where she literally took half of her hair and cut it off because she wanted thinner hair because we had like that hair (laughs) oh my god it's so crazy isn't it because these are like but it's even stuff that I definitely felt even my mom kind of shamed me for in terms of like these are the ideals of beauty that you should aspire to so it wasn't even necessarily that I was trying to kind of fit in with my white friends or with the environment it was also that I was trying to adhere to the ideals that even my culture had kind of taken on board. So a lot of the shame I felt in terms of physical appearance, to be honest, has come from my Egyptian friend, like family back home or just friends here that are out of it. It hasn't because 
I mean, we live in New York and it's relatively diverse. So like having curly hair, that's fine. And like all that, but, and even like being curvier, it was fine. I felt that shame, honestly, dealing with Sodoms, not like with Americans so mm. or like the idealized white beauty. That shame came from really my, my Arab family. So much, so much more. I think you're right. Like other than a few comments from my, that girl who was supposed to be my friend, I feel like it was definitely my mom kind of doing more of the of the sort of shaming in that respect. Yeah. I know that I definitely felt um, very different to my British friends, even in terms of like, what were the things that I was allowed to get up to and curfews and all of that kind of stuff. What was all of that like for you guys? Yeah, so I remember as a child, I'd always say things like, my parents are actually super cool, which they were like, not like they were relatively strict. <laughs> but and then I would say, but like, honestly, I think my my way of dealing with it is I hung out with a lot of Pakistani, Bengali, like Muslim people where I just felt like, OK, our lifestyles are kind of similar and I felt like accepted by them. But if I ever had the American friend who wanted me to come over for a sleepover or something, I'd be like, oh, no, we're going out of town this weekend. Like, I would yes, never. Yes, I never. I did the same thing, Hagad. Like, I never, ever, ever would say, yeah, I can't because mom is really strict and she doesn't let me stay yeah. over my friend's house. I'd be like, oh, my God, my cousins are actually coming over from, like, L.A. Like, I'd make up the most <laughs> bogus lie just because it was so embarrassing for me to say that my parents were strict or that in my culture, like, you know, it's not as normal to go over your friend's house that your parents don't know 100%. Mm. I'd make up these bizarre lies and just like roll with them. How about in terms of like references? So oh I did a, I did a <laughs> Zoom quiz the other week and I had no idea what they were talking about. It was all like, you know, shows and music. And did you ever watch that show? And I was just like, I was here. But I didn't watch any of that. And that made me feel really like I'm actually not British. All the time. All the time. I never get references ever. And I was in a relationship with um, a white guy for four years. And I'd hang out with his family a lot. And they'd say things. And like his mom would look at me. And I'm like, yeah, nothing. Like nothing (laughs) is here. (laughs) Um, But I've always had to explain. Like I grew up in an Arab household. Like most of the TV shows that you guys watched, I didn't grow up with. I didn't listen to like rock and roll. I didn't listen to the music that people were listening to. So it makes sense that I don't get any of it. But yeah, always. Like sometimes I'm I'm like, I don't even know that that's a reference to anything. I thought you just came up with it. <laughs> it doesn't ring any bells. Like I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Like iconic movies though. Like things that just like everybody has watched. I have no idea what they are or anything like that. Minna and I had like a phase where we were trying to like catch up and watch all the iconic movies. Yeah, really? We're going to do it all in like three years. We have a game plan. <laughs> <laughs> did you make a list? Like how did you come up with what you put on it? Minna's really good with that. Minna's I'm, like, for me, it was music. Like I just really wanted to know what music people were listening to. So I like broke it up into genres and eras. And I was like, okay, I'm going to study this genre of music and this time. But Hogan, you're better with movies. So you, you and my brother like were catching up. Yeah, so I made a list of movies. And honestly, my brother is the one that forces me to watch all these movies with him that are iconic and they're great. And like, but yeah, we had completely different points of reference at home. Like Arabic TV was always on in the background and it was always the news, like from my memory. So we just didn't have those as references. 
I think what I find really difficult as well is that we didn't even watch Egyptian stuff at home. So I didn't even really have any Egyptian references. And a lot of my references are like American stuff or I don't know, just like like Sweet Valley High, like random things that don't belong to either my British or my Egyptian culture. And increasingly, that's been really bothering me. Like, I don't really speak Arabic very well. I can't read or write. So even going back to Egypt, where, you know, that's where I'm supposed to be from, I don't really feel like I fit in really that much there either. No, no, no. I feel that way a lot because I, again, like my Arabic is not great. I feel like I can't really hold out a conversation, can't read or write. I haven't been to Egypt in 10 years. So I always think of when I go back, I know it's going to be the weirdest, weirdest feeling for me. And it it hurts me because I'm like, oh, like I take such pride in being Egyptian, but I know so little of the culture. I, and I keep growing more distant like throughout the years. So I, I, I definitely want to invest my time more in everything Egyptian culture for sure. I really refused to learn Arabic when I was younger and my parents would try to send me to Arabic school on Saturdays and I didn't want to go to Arabic school on Saturday. I was like, none of my other friends are doing that. I remember I made my Arabic teacher cry. I was like, why do I need to know how to speak Arabic? I already know how to speak English. And there was this like hierarchy, I think, in my brain, but also mostly not wanting to be different um, how, how, what was it like growing up for you guys? Was it sort of like a very important thing to sort of pass on this culture in these, in these ways? I think my dad was really strict about that. Like I would do certain things and he'd be like, don't do that. That's very Americanized, like things that didn't make any sense. But <laughs> we had Sunday school or me and my brother had Sunday. I know why Hager is laughing right now. <laughs> we had Sunday school, um, and I hated going to that, I, mainly because I didn't learn anything. We just went and like didn't do anything pretty much. But the language was a huge thing. Certain types of clothing I couldn't wear. Like my dad was like, that's too Americanized. Certain types of food I couldn't eat because that was too Americanized. So Bubba was really strict, I think, with that stuff. I think Mama was a little bit more, she didn't care as much. Um, yeah, like my dad, and he was really strict about like if we're in the home we're going to speak Arabic you speak English everywhere else like if we're going to be at home we're going to speak Arabic and obviously this all went down the window by the way as they got older like my brother can barely speak Arabic like it was just really us I remember we'd always get yelled at if my dad said something in Arabic and we replied in English like mm. that was like a no-no if he's speaking to you in Arabic you will reply in Arabic out of respect that's yeah, amazing yeah. What did it feel like to have sort of some behaviors and some things be considered westernized and some behaviors being considered Egyptian? What do you mean? Like, how did it feel? Yeah. Like, was that confusing? Were you like, wait, why is me going to the cinema with my friend a Western thing? Like, I found that really annoying. Why I was laughing earlier is because I remember being really in trouble because I was sitting on the couch eating Doritos out of the bag. And my dad was like, what are you? Like, you think you're American now? <laughs> and I, I think my dad was having a really bad day because this made no sense. <laughs> no, he was totally having a bad day. But I, till this day, I remember that because it, it was that thing where it's like, what the hell is like being American? Like, I'm just doing something that I like. Like, I don't even consider it being American. And I didn't learn it from anyone. And I think a lot of my behaviors, I'm like, I don't know if I learned it from someone. I think it's just something that I enjoy doing. I don't know if it would be considered American or if it would be considered Egyptian. 
I feel that way too with like um me and Minna were recently talking about what parts of us are American and I realized I'm less community driven than I thought I like I'm more of an individualist and that's such an American thing that I usually like criticize and hate really but I kind of realized like I think on my own terms and I don't necessarily think like my my, my thinking isn't community based which was really an interesting realization. I think it's interesting being diaspora because like we said you don't really fully belong to either of the cultures and I think that the older you get the more you can very often take that as like a strength and you know something that you're like oh great so I can pick and choose sort of thing whereas I don't know I definitely felt that when I was younger it felt a lot more of like a well I'm not enough and yeah I think I definitely had like a lot of shame around that yeah, the feeling of not feeling enough just because you don't belong to anything 100%. Like, I, I feel that as well. And I think that's where maybe a lot of my insecurities come from. And I just need to dig deeper and, like, figure out, like, where these stem from. There's, like, so much torment that comes from it. Like, even stupid conversations like, am I Egyptian-American or American-Egyptian? Like, which yeah. one? <laughs> it's just crazy, these things we have to think about that, like, if you're just one thing, it just never crosses your mind. Let's pause the conversation here for some words from our sponsor, BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, you can start prioritizing your mental health and living a more balanced life today. It's not always easy to find a therapist you're comfortable with, and the journey can make the idea of therapy scary for some. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. They also make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. The service is available for clients worldwide, and there is a broad range of expertise which may not be locally available in many areas. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. As a Talk of Shame listener, you get 10% off your first month with BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P. Use promo code TALKOFSHAME and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Back to the conversation. So I know that you guys obviously grew up in New York and I'm really curious as to, um, I guess, the impact that sort of the negative stereotypes around Arabs, around Muslims have on us and our perceptions of ourselves, and, you know, sometimes the shame around it. Like I remember so well, we went to New York on holiday and it must have been a few years after 9-11 and we were in the queue to go you know, through customs or whatever. I must have just said something to my family in, in Arabic. And I remember my dad being like, don't speak Arabic in the queue. And I was like, oh my God, like this is this is mental. But I think it really just goes to show the shift in, like when I was growing up, it was like, oh, do you guys go to school on camels? Like, do you live in a pyramid? And then it sort of became like, are you a terrorist? Yeah, yeah. I think the being Muslim part really like, it was bad for me. I used to be so embarrassed that my mom would come pick me up wearing the hijab after 9-11. Like, it was so, so bad. So I think that's when I felt it the most, more with Islam, more so than with being Arab or being Egyptian. I think I was always proud of being Egyptian. Like, I thought it was the coolest thing to go share with my friends just because it was, like, I'm putting it in quotes, like, exotic for them. And, you know, they, they thought it was so cool, so I felt cool saying it. Um, but the one thing that I struggled with was Islam for sure. Like it was just so embarrassing for me, especially after 9-11. Like I just, mm. I would never say that I was Muslim. I would, 
want my mom to wear a hat instead of the hijab. Like it was all this stuff that played into it. I don't think it lasted very long after 9-11 where I felt like this, but I remember a time where that's all I felt. Yeah. Yeah. It was so interesting. We used to live when 9-11 happened, I think it was 11. Um, we used to live on the street that was all Greek people. So all our neighbors were Greek. My dad was in Egypt when that happened. So our neighbors, I remember, came up to us and they were like, don't worry if anything happens, we're going to protect you, which was such a great gesture. But I was like, why do we need protection? Like in my head, I was like, it felt embarrassing that we were the only people on the street that people were concerned for. So yeah, just like the embarrassment that came with that. And then also, honestly, like it was this huge event in New York and like 3000 people had died and everybody was grieving and Muslims were never given a chance to grieve that. Like I was never a New Yorker in that moment. Mm -hmm. I was only a Muslim and I like went into defense mode. Like we're not all like this. And I felt like that was the moment where I was like, okay, I'm not 100% New Yorker. And that's when you belong to something that's so misrepresented, you feel like most of your life is defending that thing. So I always will defend Islam, always, till this day. And it's like, I don't need to do that. Like, I wish I can just be and like exist and not yeah. feel like I'm, you know, always constantly like making people want to change their opinions on something. It's the silliest thing. Was that sort of like, shame, if that's the right word, was that present before 9-11 as well, do you think? Or was it was there really a shift there? I was really young. So I don't think I felt shame surrounding Islam before 9-11. But after, I remember it being all I thought about. So definitely after, I, and I would use the word shame to describe the feeling that I had um, towards like faith and religion. Yeah, for sure. No, for me, you know what? I do think there actually was a lot of shame even before 9-11. Um, it wasn't about necessarily my religion, though, or it wasn't something I thought about as much. But um, around the fact that like my parents had accents. So whenever they would come to school meetings, I would always feel like, oh, like they're the only parents who have accents or just things like that. And like, again, like, there's this girl in my school who would always talk about my sideburn hair because I have like a lot of facial hair or like how frizzy my hair was. So just like things like that, where it's like, why am I the only one like this? Like, why are my eyebrows ridiculously like this? For me though, I feel like I used to take it a step further because I'm just thinking now, like when Bubba would go to my parent-teacher conferences, he would like make jokes. Like my dad was like a really happy person and they would never land. And I would blame <laughs> that. <laughs> I blame that on being Arab. But all dads have horrible jokes. Like, and I would just like in my head, it's like, oh, he's so embarrassing and foreign. God, I remember I found a diary that I had when I was really young and I had, we had just moved to London. And I remember writing and I read it recently and I was like, I really hope that my parents don't come pick me up from school. I don't want anyone to see them. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so mean. Like I was yeah. so ashamed of them and you know, only now am I, am I like, they weren't even doing it. Like, even in terms of the sort of scale of immigrant, it wasn't particularly foreign in any way, but I just felt so, I felt like they were so different. And I almost felt like, oh my God, the jig's going to be up if people see them, because maybe they think that I'm like them. But when they see my parents, they're going to know that I'm not. Oh my God, there's, you just sparked a memory for me that actually makes me so sad, but there was this like Halloween day parade and um, the parents would watch, like they would sit on the sidelines and they'd watch us as we're going down. And I remember being so 
mad that my mom was there, that I was crying and my mom didn't know why I was crying. So then I had to fake it and say like, so she just didn't understand. But I know deep inside that it was because I didn't want her to be there. And I just, when I think about that, I'm like, how many moments in my life did I ruin for our family just because I was so ashamed? I have such a similar story, but I am not an asshole like Hawkeye. <laughs> <laughs> so I, my mom came to chaperone one of my school trips and we went to the botanical garden. I remember this so well. And like there was, like I was so embarrassed at first and I was like, oh, why does she want to do this? Like I hate this. But she was so happy, you guys. And I think it's something that like she probably didn't get to do in Egypt. Like it was something so weird, like parents coming on school trips, school trips just alone, like all this stuff. She was so happy that I remember sitting on the bus and I was just like, okay, let me hold her hand. And like, and she remembers this. She always brings it up still. I was so happy. Like, I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm having a good time. My mom is so happy. Like, I don't care if we look different. And we did look different. Mama was like wearing hijab and like, she visibly looks so different than every other parent. But yeah, at one point you just have to be like, fuck it. Like, it's, we're having fun. It's a good time. Like, who cares if we look (laughs) a little different? Yeah, it's hard to get to when you're young, but. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think it's really hard to get to when you're young. And I think what's been really interesting for me in, in conversations with my dad more recently, and I guess this is obvious, but I never really thought about it, where for him, he moved here as like a grown ass man, you know? So he's like, I'm Egyptian, even if I'm not exactly like the Egyptians, my mates in Egypt, I'm Egyptian and I live in London as an adult. Whereas for me growing up here, I was like, but I'm kind of supposed to be British. I found it so interesting what you said, Hagar, about um, Hagar, Hagar, <laughs> um, <laughs> about how, you know, when 9-11 happened and you felt like you weren't given the space to grieve this horrible thing that happened in your city. I think it goes back to this idea of being... Um, of who we're allowed to mourn for and who we're allowed to grieve for. And that so much is to do with where we're considered to belong. Um, And there's this really great quote that I love, which was saying, you know, I'm, I'm allowed to criticize this place because I love it. It's because we belong, but we're made to feel like we don't. So we're made to feel like we don't have an opinion or we're not allowed to kind of have a say in that. And I've definitely felt that in the UK recently, you know, with Brexit and there's been so much stuff going on. And there's this attitude of like, well, you're supposed to just be grateful. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, especially like when you're talking to like an older American, they're like, well, then go back to where you came from. Or like, (laughs) I used to have this employer who would be like, do you want to, even Europe was not good enough. He's like, do you want to go to Europe where there's theft and there's anarchy? (laughs) He's like, America's the greatest country in the world. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great. But like, it's not perfect. (laughs) Far from it. Do you think about it in terms of um, politics? I've been thinking about this recently because a lot of my family members thought that Trump was the better leader because of like his relationship with Egypt. And I was made to feel like I was like a traitor that like I didn't care about Egypt at all. And I, it was just insane. Like those conversations had never come up before where I was like, you know what? No, like maybe he does have a better relationship with Egypt, but that doesn't matter. And also like, honestly, even selfishly, it doesn't matter because I live here. Like my health insurance is here and like my whole life is here. So that's been interesting also. I think that's such a good point. It's like, where do your loyalties lie? You know what I mean? Where are they supposed to lie? When you do come from two different places, 
again, it's difficult to know, like, do I prioritize the well-being of this country or do I prioritize the well-being of this country that I live in? Yeah, yeah. And it obviously shouldn't come to that. But unfortunately, in America, so many times it does. Like, if they're good, like, within America, they have, like, awful foreign policy. But, like, yeah, I've been definitely made to feel like a traitor in those conversations. Like, oh, you don't care about Egypt. You don't care about the Middle East. You only care that your health insurance is taken care of and you're on employment, whatever it is. That That's also been something I think about a lot recently. That's so interesting. I think it really goes back to this idea of like not feeling like you're enough of either of those of of either of those things, you know? You're not and and we won't. We won't ever be. Yeah. Even like during like the Egyptian revolution, like I I remember feeling it and like feeling so happy but not feeling it in the way that people in Egypt did and it's impossible because I've never lived in Egypt. I'd be yeah. such a liar if I said I could ever get access to those feelings. God, I was like desperate to like go and be there. And my dad was like, are you okay? Like, what? what, what? <laughs> but I felt this like real sort of guilt. And I know that it's been something, you know, with the, the explosion that happened in Lebanon a few months ago, so many Lebanese diaspora felt so guilty and this kind of survivor's guilt of I'm not there, I should be there, these are my people. I think that can be really difficult as well to feel like you're so far away from it and that the, the, it doesn't belong to you. You know, the things that they're fighting for, you don't really have a say either. Yeah. We've been having these like hypothetical conversations of, well, our children are, if we, if we have children and if they live here, they're going to be pretty American. Um, and is that something we want? And we were saying like, no, we actually want to take them somewhere completely different. So they get that like, cause I think it's so beneficial. Yeah. I want them to struggle a little. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't want them to get it so good. I'll move them to a country that like none of us are from <laughs> that way. They like know what it feels to be an outsider to a certain extent. I don't want them to be too comfortable <laughs> because I do think it builds like some character yeah I think so too I think so too I've almost been feeling the sort of weirdly the opposite although I think I'm kind of coming out the other end of this now thank god but I've been feeling this sort of thing of like oh shit well maybe I should marry someone who's Egyptian or you know maybe I should kind of try and pass on this culture to my kids because I don't know. I think we're really raised to think that that's what's important. Um, and the culture is so beautiful and it's so amazing in so many ways. So I, I definitely feel this kind of pressure to not lose it. And, you know, quite shamed of myself sometimes when I'm not able to kind of keep up those things. But then I also feel like, well, maybe we should just be merging things and maybe that's where progression comes from and you know maybe this is an amazing opportunity to kind of like take the best things that you like and make a whole new thing and I feel really stuck in between those two polar things yeah there's this Zadie Smith quote and I'm tr I've been trying to pull it up but I can't because I have the words completely wrong so I'm going to butcher it but pretty much she's saying like she wishes she can take every single identity she has so like being black being a woman and stretch it so far that she just ends up existing. Like she doesn't need to be like, well, I'm black and I'm a woman. Like she doesn't need to justify all of these things. She can just exist. And I feel like I wish I can do that too, where I don't feel like I need to pick an identity. I can just be whoever the hell I want to be on whatever hell like day I want to be it and just not have it be something that's so, something that I think about every single moment of my life and I can just exist. And I think we're all getting there though. I think our kids will probably be there. 
Hopefully. I feel this with a lot of things like career too. I feel like I'm this, but I'm that. And I, and I just, this year I think was like, I am what I am. Like if this question is going to cause such a hang up in my life, then I'm not going to answer it. Like it's really like not worth all this torment I put myself through. But I did want to say something to what you were saying, Alia. I just yesterday actually was listening to this podcast and um, the woman was saying that they're Mexican and her son doesn't speak Spanish at all. And she was kind of ashamed. Like I should have taught him this thing. I don't want it to kind of disappear. And she was saying that she looked at him because he said a word and then he got embarrassed that he said it wrong. She looked at him and said, you know, like, there is no pressure. You do not have to learn Spanish because it's in you. Like, it is something that you will always have access to your whole entire life because it's your birthright. And I was just like, whoa, like, that is so beautiful. Like, you don't have to pressure yourself. It's in you. And like, you can learn it when you're 50 if you want to learn it when you're 50. It doesn't have to be something that we have, like, so much pressure to do now. I love that so much. How have your feelings or ideas sort of around identity and, you know, some of these shame things that we've spoken about, how has that shifted? I think for me, it's just realizing that I can be proud of being multiple things at once. And again, this goes back to career also. Like I do modeling, but I'm also a social media coordinator. I also run this platform with my sister. I do so much and not feeling weird to like express all the things that I do and all the things that I am. And I think social media helps because I also think like so many people are a lot of things at once and you don't feel like weird about certain things anymore. I also think I've invested my time into learning more about the Arab culture and discovering and hanging out with more Arab people where I really wanted to be so separate from that because I just didn't think any cool Arabs existed and all of that stuff. So growing up, you're like, oh, well, this is like something I don't really care about. Like, it's not something I'm prideful about at all. And now I'm at a place where I'm so, so happy to be these things and to surround myself with a lot of Arab people, a lot of Egyptian people, a lot of Muslim people who are doing amazing things, even outside of the creative field, just like doing incredible things and are great people. I think that helps also just make you a little bit prouder of who you are. And the more proud you are, the less shame you have. Yeah. I think for me, it's similar. And I think also what's helped is realizing that like every like, quote unquote, negative thing about me is also my biggest strength, which is very weird. Like, like, I'm obsessive, but that obsessiveness is the reason why I do well at work, because like I can find information and I like don't stop until I get it, like things like that. But also realizing that honestly, like this hypersensitivity I have, or just being an observer, or like the shape-shifting we were talking about, like that all comes from those two identities. And that's why I can that's why I'm a journalist or that's why I have these like skills that make it so easy to like go into that role. Um, but also honestly, like I would say that shame was a big part of my life until like last year, until October, I think I had this like awakening where I was like, that's it. I'm destroying it. Like that's it. I am what I am and I'm not what I'm not. And that's totally fine. And I think it comes with age too. Cause you can like spend your whole life trying to change yourself. And then you get to like 30 something and you're like, that's it. I am what I am. Like I can become better, but for the most part, this is me. <laughs> I think so much of my pride now and my lack of shame in terms of like being both and neither, I think that's really changed the more I've seen how many amazing diaspora people there are and just how many people I can relate to who do come from different places or who are multiple things. I think that's really happened to me through my work. And I wanted to know like how, you know, running these amazing platforms, how much has that sort of made you feel more proud or sort of 
picked up on the kind of funny and amazing nuances of our culture? I think like running the meme shop has been such an eye opener in terms of like how many, first of all, how many of us there are out there. Not that we have like the biggest following in the world, but just like realizing like our experiences are so shared. Like we have so many of the same touch points to like go back to. So that's been interesting, but also honestly seeing people who, how do I say this? Like traditionally would be more shame than me, like people in the LGBTQ community and people who are so unaccepted in our culture traditionally being so proud of themselves and so open. It just kind of was like, what's my excuse? Like, why am I still holding on to these things? Um, so that's been, that's been huge for me, but like, it's so funny because around representation, I was thinking just like yesterday, I was like, we haven't made it until one of us makes something that has nothing to do with being both like Arab American yeah. that has nothing to do with identity. So like, I, I think yeah. it's going to be like stages though. Like, I think like that we're still so early on, which is insane to say because we've been existing for thousands of years. We think we've done so much and we have like having shows like Rami or books come out. But when you look at the longer road, like we still have so, so far to go. Like we're, we're still in like the very beginning steps, I think. Yeah. All these platforms coming out, like I think that's phase one. Like, okay, we're, we're, put, we're leaving a mark. That's step one. Well, all of this stuff coming out is almost in reaction to the fact that we had nothing. So nothing. it's like, yeah. okay, yeah, like you said, this is the first step is like us being like, hello, <laughs> hi, <laughs> we I'm exist. here. Yeah, <laughs> we have talent, yeah. we exist, like we do, we do these things as well. <laughs> I think it's interesting, though, that we're saying this is early on because like stuff has been being made in the Arab world for forever. So I think what's early on is this birth of the third culture. So like, I'm Arab American, you're Arab British, like that's what's early on. But I think it's so exciting to be like, okay, we are our own thing. We're this other completely different culture and this is our time. I actually feel like that's who I am. I can't say I'm fully Egyptian. I can't say I'm fully American. Like I'm this other thing in the middle and that's like, that's being rebirthed now. I love that. I I absolutely love that. I think that's exactly it. And I think that's such a lovely place to end on. It's like not feeling like we're not enough of either of those things and realizing that we are fully ourselves and that that is enough, you know, like it's a whole new culture and there's so much beauty in that. We don't need to feel like we need to be more one or the other thing. We can just be what we are. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much. This has been really lovely to chat with you. Thank Thank you for having us. It's been great. Bye. It's such a difficult and multi-layered conversation. And I feel like the older you get, the more considerations you need to take into account because it kind of feels like every decision that you make is picking a side. Only yesterday was I speaking to my therapist about this. I think it's something that we'll all have to negotiate forever, really. I really liked what we ended on, though, which was the idea that Actually, as third culture kids, we are essentially our own culture and that there's a lot of beauty to be found in that. As we touched on in the episode, seeing and relating to others like us has a hugely positive impact. Next week, I get further into the impacts of representation with Sara Abdelrahman, an Egyptian actress who's best known for her role as Hiba in Seba Agar. 
She's also very vocal about numerous issues and speaks often about the importance of storytelling. Here's a snippet from next week's conversation. I don't think I ever grew up having any relatable content, media, anything that made me feel that I'm valid or my needs are valid or an example maybe of of any sort that can give me a way out of shame. I'm Alia Moro, and you've been listening to Talk of Shame, a Wemina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Sound designed by the talented Nicholas Alexander. Special thanks to Wemina producers Amira Ahmed, Elisa Friha, and Rhythma Ekinayaki. Thanks to everyone who submitted voice notes for this week's episode. Follow me at Alia Moro and at Wemina to submit your thoughts for future episodes. We'll be dropping questions every Saturday. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, download, and review. It really does help get the word out there. Talk to you next week.